So I wanted to do an episode today on on the post I did today, which was about can we be too kind? Because I do feel like we are slipping slightly into into too much kindness in our training. So as as we know, I think as everyone knows, the dog training world is very divided with what some trainers that would call themselves force-free or reward-based or lima and then the other side calling themselves perhaps balanced trainers or would use the use of uh, aversive tools. So obviously I'm a reward-based trainer and I don't use tools and that's the way I've done it for a very long time. But in this world of force free i do think we are slipping a little bit or some people are slipping a little bit into yeah being being a little bit too kind so obviously there's there's a a, a difference of opinions in some owners i think that don't like to use even use enrichment and things like that because they feel like it's cruel or make the dog work for their food a lot of people mentioned that on the post and I have that problem sometimes with my family if I go to my family and get a Kong out it's like oh why can't you just give him his meal that's so mean (laughs) and uh, it's like but he he enjoys that and it makes I don't think he even notices that he's eaten when he has his dinner in a bowl because poor badger is so tiny and puts on weight so easily that he has a very small portion and so he swallows it and I don't think he even notices he's eaten it in the bowl he's just said where did that go? So, you know, if he has it frozen in a Kong or on a licky mat, at least he's aware that he's actually had some food. And, you know, what? what's sometimes surprising to us is our dogs are 100% captive animals. You know, there's no doubt about that. It's hard to think of it like that because there are companions, there are family, there are babies, whatever we want to call them, but they are still animals. And they're living in captivity. So if you take your dog for an hour's walk a day or two hours and then you can fit in sort of 10 minutes of enrichment, you know, we're still talking 22, 23 hours a day that they're doing nothing. No Netflix, no jigsaws, no TV. They've got nothing to do. They're just in your home and that's it. And people always, you know, say, oh, well, they sleep all day. They're lazy, lazy dogs. But of course, we want them to get enough rest and stuff. But half the time, they aren't sleeping. They're bored. They're switched off because what else are they going to do other than sleep? So that's just their time, just their, their time during that day. So what, and if we think about what we bred dogs to do, we bred them to have jobs. We bred them to be out there guarding all day. We bred them to be hunting all day, um, herding, working for us. They would have been doing that all day. So, you know, when, when we have little problems like dogs barking outside noises, a lot of that often comes down to boredom. They just, they have nothing else to do, right? Well, it's like, oh, who can I bark at now? There's a noise. Okay, I'll go bark at that because that's something interesting to do. So the enrichment thing is obviously hugely important. They need that. And 
working for their food is great and not not saying that we should starve them and make them work for every morsel obviously some free food and, and shoes and stuff available is great but never feel guilty about making your dog work and what and what was really nice in the comments was some great examples of contra freeloading where where the dogs wouldn't even eat from a bowl they had to work for their food and someone mentioned that that was a quite a poodle thing which is so true I, I meet a lot of poodles that are really picky eaters because I think they're saying this is boring do you know how smart I am I just I want to I want to work for it so sometimes changing the way you feed your dog can be enough to make them eat because you make the food interesting you make it worth it you make it earned you know your dog feels good about going out and finding it so yeah that's the that's the enrichment side of it for sure we should never you know our dogs need that the same way a zoo animal needs that otherwise we're going to start seeing behaviors where they are they're stressed they're want to cause problems they are bored and so repetitive behaviors can creep in unwanted behaviors can creep in and all all the things you'd expect from an animal that's not getting enough and then there's the aspect of which i definitely see is happening a lot at the moment is activities being having a really negative rep um, reputation now like heel work and obedience or pulling or canny cross or agility are getting really bad reputations and saying that why are you making your dog do that but you know obviously occasionally there's an owner that makes their dog do that or doesn't build it up enough so it's or teaches it with with tools or, or with punishment based methods and of course then it isn't very nice but if we're looking at um, introducing these activities with kindness choice and loads of positive associations then your dog is going to enjoy them whatever the name of these activities or what the feeling that name gives you we carry a lot of traditions over from our you know working with dogs our working dog days like dogs should walk on the left because we carry our guns on the right so you know, there's going to be things called stuff that we might not like or that doesn't sit right with us, but it doesn't mean that the dog doesn't enjoy them. And I love heel work. I love it. Even the fancy heel work with the flicky feet and the dog's all like glued to you. I think it's great and I actually use it a lot because I use it for reactivity a lot in because in, I work in central London and sometimes it's actually not possible to work on reactivity in central London. We've got dogs in flats that need to go to the toilet every day. So it's a welfare case not to get them out. But they're extremely reactive and they live in very dog saturated areas. I mean, talking, they walk out their door and there's four dogs walking down the street. So you, you cannot work on the reactivity and you can't avoid the triggers. It's not possible even thinking outside the box you know maybe with a small dog you can you can associate them to a carrier but not with a large dog so we have to teach a really a pretty intense management system that's going to work for both the dog and the owner and sometimes heel work 
is the easiest way to do that that's going to benefit everyone and as long as the dog is getting opportunities to sniff and be a dog at other parts of, of the time then there's nothing wrong with doing some heel work and that can be a great coping mechanism and even if you're you know even if you're do, using it as management you're still going to change their emotional state around triggers because classical conditioning will always be along for the ride even if you're doing operant stuff even if you're teaching the dog behavior you are going to change their emotional state so we're teaching them an alternative behavior to lunging and barking we're teaching them that this alternative behavior has no effect on making their their we're teaching them that their previous behavior didn't change these these triggers didn't make these triggers go away these triggers are coming and going regardless of the behavior so yeah this heel work can be great and I've actually never worked with a dog that didn't enjoy doing heel work. They, it's easy. Rewards keep coming. They just have to walk by our side. And they're engaging with you, their favourite person. So I love it. And I like obedience too. I think that's great. I think it's really fun to, to have that connection. It's a real connection with your dog to play this and, and do that. As long as you're giving them breaks and they're enjoying it and you're teaching it with loads of rewards and enjoyment that's what's really important to, to enjoy it because your dog feels that and if you're having fun then your dog just has fun they're like oh my god she's engaging with me she's happy we're doing something together I love it and that's with anything so you know I will often walk into a client's house and say I'm not here to motivate the dog. I'm here to motivate the client. And that's going to look different for everyone. So if I've got someone with a chihuahua, but I feel like they're going to love doing agility, then why not? Because you can get small dog agility and that chihuahua is going to love it too because they like learning, they like doing all that stuff. And yeah, they might not make it to world champion, but they're going to have fun on that journey. And or you could even do a little bit of hoopers, which is, you know, low, lower impact agility, which can be really nice, too. And if there's also, you know, this negative thing about competitive or competing, which is definitely not right, I don't feel, because some people, so for example, my husband will only train if he has a competition at the end, so or an end goal. Or he's competing in some way. So when he was doing boxing, he would arrange an amateur boxing fight. And, you know, invite everyone. It was a big thing. And that's the only way he'd train. Because he knew he had this, he knew he had to, basically. And if he, if he does some running, he all, he'll only do running if he's booked a half marathon. So he, he's got a goal. And so if that's the thing that motivates you, that competitive aspect then do it competitively, you know, that because that's what, as long as you're not stressing yourself out doing it, then, and it's enjoyable, then do it, because we, we used to do that as kids, we'd, um, you know, take our ponies to shows, and it was a day out, it was exciting, it was awesome, it was like nerve-wracking, but you do it, and you'd feel great, and all you were doing it for was a rosette at the end <laughs> but you know that was our rosette that we displayed on the wall and we 
we got it in Family Pony or the Clear Round and it was a day, it was a whole family adventure and it was awesome. We'd get up early in the morning and the horses loved it too, you know, they'd, they'd go and they'd have a great day out and we all worked together. So I think com- competing is, is perfect too because nothing motivates people more sometimes. So that's why I always say to clients that might need a little bit of push just to just to get a bit more they've got a dog that needs to be more active it's like do a little bit of everything to find out what you really love because there's so many options now uh you know you've got scent work you've got lure coursing you've got they do loads of great stuff for bully breeds now you've got bite work if you want to get really into it um yeah and all different kinds of sort of agility fly ball and there's more opportunities now for you to dip in and out of that and not not necessarily get too in into it. Even like, you know, the, the Kennel Club Good Citizens test stuff can be really nice just to do some really nice, like, low-pressure stuff with your dog. And you meet people as well, which, which can be a nice social aspect. So... Definitely don't feel bad, ever feel bad for doing something with your dog, as long as you're training it with, with, you know, going into it slowly at your dog's own pace, and you're enjoying yourself, then that's all that really matters in that aspect. Um, and the other thing that I put in the reel, which I think we're all guilty of, is rewarding your dog for the lower criteria so you say so you're training and you have a criteria and they do something cute or you just want to reward them for the effort and so we give them a treat anyway I do it all the time <laughs> but this the problem here is kindness is also clarity and this is where I see positive training fail all the time is because we aren't putting in clarity with our dogs The two reasons why I see it fail is consistency and lack of clarity. So marker words are so important and I see people slip all the time on the marker words. Like perhaps they're not that important. And they're not, you can work without them. If I'm working with a dog that really can't cope arousal levels and the primary and reinforcer is sending them through the roof, then I might not use a marker word. But in general, if we're working on quite specific behaviours then mark words are really important. It's like, that's the exact behaviour I like. Otherwise, we take too long to deliver the treat and the dog doesn't know what they're getting rewarded for. And it's also why this clarity of why we're rewarding those sort of cute behaviours that aren't actually really what we want is not doing our dog any favours. So that's why I often say use a training plan because it's more, it makes you think a bit more methodically that word <laughs> but basically you've got your your criteria so say I want to work on a hand touch and my first criteria is I want my dog's nose to gesture towards my hand don't need it to touch I want it to gesture and I'll do five to ten reps of that so I'm just rewarding any gesture towards my hand and so then I'd step up my criteria now I want their nose to make contact with the palm of my hand So I'm not going to reward them if they don't make contact. 
And that's where it's so important that we hold off on those rewards till the dog is hitting criteria. And not to worry too much about minor frustration. Because what's going to happen is the dog's going to do what they did and they're not going to get the reward. And in their frustration, they're going to give a good old boot of their nose towards your hand. Say, hang on a minute, did you miss that? Where's my treat? And then they're going to make contact and you're going to go, yeah, that's what I want. And it's frustration that got them there. And so we can't completely protect them from frustration. They need to deal with it in their lives and they need to learn from it. So that's fine to push through a little bit as long as they're not like losing their mind and really needing a break and they can't cope. Obviously, then we're going to give them a break or help them out. But if it's a little bit, we can work through that. And frustration is sometimes what gets progression. So if I get a few of those firm firmer nose boops or the contact nose nose boops and then I get a wish-washy one but I think oh I'll reward that anyway because it was it was nice they tried that takes away the clarity then the dog says I don't know what you want we're going back a step uh do you want all of it is it okay that I do either of these and it gets confusing so we want to know we're not going to reward that that wasn't what I wanted we can still you could still, if you feel bad, you can still say, good, good try, but, but no reward for that. Uh, obviously, if your dog is consistently not getting it, you're going to move back that step on your training plan. And then I might hold off, you know, till I get a firmer nose boop and I'm only going to reward those. So in to be kind and to be clear, to explain to your dog exactly what you want, only reward the exact criteria you want. So if your dog throws in a little paw with their nose touch and you're like, oh, that was cute, have a treat. Then you've confused your dog because now he's like, okay, so you want the, the nose boop and the paw. Okay, I can do that. And then you're like, eventually down the line, you're like, oh, I don't want that anymore. But it's going to be harder to phase out because you've blurred the lines a little bit. Whereas if we just didn't reward it in the first place, then they know, okay, that's not what she wants. So clarity is so important where and where we can add it into our training is going to be kind for your dog. And that's the only way you're going to see progress. So you're not going to, you don't have to, you know, tell your dog no, or that's not right. If they get it wrong, just don't reward. It's really clear. My nose touches your hand. That's what's getting results. It doesn't that's not what gets result. If you want to completely take the emotion out of it, you know, just think of yourself as that that lever that the dog has to press to get the food. And then, you know, if they're not pressing the lever, they don't get the food. It's just really, really clear. And that is what is important in our training. So, yeah, that is mostly what I wanted to go over with that and and just that I think we are tipping more into being over kind now which you know is not a bad thing but remember that kindness can be as cruel I think in rescue I saw so many more obese dogs than I did starved dogs in fact actually to see a true starvation case was quite rare it was quite unusual that one would come in whereas we'd probably get an obesity case once or twice a week. And I don't think it always has the same emotional response. You know, when we see a starving dog, we we really feel upset. But 
when you actually look at these obese cases, they are, they really struggle. They struggle physically. You can see the pain and it is actually as, as upsetting. And in my opinion, I think it's as cruel as starvation cases. You know, perhaps the 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 intention isn't because we just want to be kind to our dogs. You know, I, my dog's getting older now and lives for food and I do want to stuff him with cake sometimes just so he's having I know he's having the best time but obviously I know that the end result of that is going to be painful for him and it is going to be unkind so it is it is hard sometimes but that's an extreme case of where kindness can really really be harmful sometimes so it's just something to keep in mind and also hopefully relieve your guilt for all those people that are telling you you shouldn't be doing this, that or the other with your dog because you know what's right. And sometimes we have to do things that make us feel a bit mean, but like with my daughter who wants to live on a diet of Kinder Eggs, I can't allow it because we know that would not be healthy. Thanks for listening.